What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America Prospect Handbook Podcast. J.J. Cooper and Matt Eddy here to... This is an all-world series analysis, all-postseason analysis podcast. We don't do a whole lot of podcasts that are... We're all Major League focused, although we can't focus on the Major Leagues that won't get into player development and all. It's just how, it's what we do. But we did want to wrap it up since we saw the end of the World Series last night. It's not that baseball is over. I'm actually headed to Phoenix later this week to go to the Arizona Fall League, uh, see a couple games in the Rising Stars game. We've got winter ball going on, but the Major League season is over. The offseason has begun. Um, the parade's tomorrow in Kansas City. I guess after that, we truly are in the offseason. But... We wanted to talk about this and, and kind of look at it from both sides. And, and we will get to the Royals, but we will start with the Mets. Matt has done our Mets top 30 for seven, eight years now in a row. Yeah, since after 2010. 2010. And I did it uh, back when I, I got to write up David Wright, back when David Wright was a, rookie, you know, was a prospect in the system. So we've both done the Mets list in the past. Matt does it, uh, knows the system uh, frontwards, backwards, and in between. But Matt... One of the things that jumps out with this is is obviously a very disappointing end if you're a Mets fan. At the same time, though, getting to the World Series with this team, you know, once we get removed a day or two from it, it's a pretty amazing accomplishment because this did not look, even as good a starting pitching staff as it was, did this feel like a team that was going to be a World Series team to you? No, when they entered play August 1, they were 53-50, and and they had scored the third fewest runs in the majors. But for the past three months, they've been a very good team. I mean, you know, they scored the third most runs in the majors in that time. They lost only twice in the National League playoffs. And, uh, you know, we, we, know how, we know about the leads they held in World Series games. But, yeah, I would say that uh, it was a successful year. And, and I do think also with that, the other part that stands out is, is that their weaknesses were definitely exposed in the, in the World Series. The, the, in, the, the lack of defense, the lack of athleticism, and the bullpen. And it really, those, those really felt like that those were the weaknesses. But it, it is one of those things where you always are making trade-offs, whatever team you are. It's almost impressive that the Mets got as far as they did 
I, you know, I was running it by scouts last week, and I just asked them, I said, is there a defender, when, considering David Wright's current physical condition, is there a defender in the Mets infield who you grade as average defensively? And the answers pretty much were no. And if you go to the outfield, if depending on the alignment, you could make an argument when Cespedes was in center, they probably were below average. Maybe you give Granderson an average in right. Yeah, Granderson's fine. Yeah, so that would be... Lagaris is good. But when Lagaris is out there, but... Conforto's okay. I, the outfield is not a problem. But the it's NFL, just they were facing a team that hits a lot of ground balls, too. That compounded the issue. Um, yeah, and not having a contingency plan for the late innings, if you have a lead, they trotted Murphy out there. Uh, Darno did not look good, and he caught every inning late in games. They really, which, well, they really which not, meant the Royals knew we're going to run and we're going to yeah, run successfully. Had the Mets kind of uh, made a provision for that and had you know we're going to put Matt Reynolds in at second base or move Flores over. We're going to put we're going to carry Anthony Recker instead of Kevin Plawecki who never appeared in the postseason. We're going to put him behind the plate late in close games to kind of guard against uh, the running game, but they didn't execute that plan. That, that's one thing I do think. If you look at the Mets in 2016, I would be shocked. If they do not have, I mean, Daniel Murphy's probably gone. They're probably going to replace him with Dilson Herrera. That'll be a immediate, and instant upgrade as far as defense at second base. But, but I, even if Wilmer Flores is their shortstop next year, I can't imagine that they won't try to do something where they have a defensive option on the roster. That again, just what you're talking about. You get ahead, okay? Now you're not. We're going to have a, an actual fifty or and Flores was, in some crazy way, the least. Painful defender they had in the in the, in the in the World Series, but it is glaring when you don't have a guy you can put out there to start improving the defense. Well, don't forget, Ruben Tejada was the shortstop. He started the first two mm-hmm. games of the postseason. See, he was their number one option at shortstop. They lost him, and I think that really That's hurt because he would have been in the game every late game at shortstop. And that again, and that may also mean that you can then move Flores over to second, right, where he's probably better than Murphy. Yes. So you're right. That is one thing that did happen that there's not much you can prepare for in, in mm-hmm. that situation. But, well, what about, though, the other part of this obviously was the Mets' bullpen. Mm-hmm. And it it does feel like that that is the part of the game that nowadays it's, it's the toughest part that a manager has the postseason because it's where you get the most criticism. But it is also hard to say that the Mets came out. It, Terry Collins did not come out looking very good as far as management of the bullpen in the World Series. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair criticism. I don't think Collins put the Mets in the best position to win. Uh, most noticeably in Game 4 when he left Clippert in after he had put two men on with one out in the eighth. You know, I, I think in that situation you got to have a short leash, one base runner, and you're done. And we saw that with Harvey last night. It should have been one base runner and you're done. Collins waited one batter too long in both instances. It, it was interesting that... In my opinion, I I know that the you know roles are kind of end up being kind of defined and all, but at the same time, it did feel like that Clippard was viewed as the eighth inning setup man, the moment of I mean the the really the moment of truth guy besides Familia, and what ended up happening with that a lot of times was is it really didn't feel like Clippard was often the best option in those cases. No, he was really the Mets' third or fourth or fifth best relief pitcher. You know, I think in that situation you should. Reed had been throwing well, Addison Reed. Why not let him start the eighth? Or why not just go to Familia early, you know? Or, yeah, if you kept Reed and then you say, okay, 
again, it always, and the Royals did the same thing, but if you're willing to bring in a guy, I know that you, one thing that gets lost is his teams are trying to steal outs. If I can do, get three outs with Brian Madison, I don't have to go to Wade Davis in the eighth. Hey, that's a win. You know, they're trying to steal outs. I follow that, but there is also the counter argument, which is, is if you're willing to go to the guy after this first guy blows it, right? then you should go to that guy. If you're already willing to say, well, if we need to, Wade Davis will get six outs tonight, well, then let Wade Davis get six outs. Because if Wade Davis gets six outs, you're probably going to win the game. I mean, that is, Wade Davis right now is on a run of bullpen you know, success. I don't even call it disclosure, but it's hard to think of relievers who've been, I mean, Mariano Rivera obviously comes to mind, but over the last two-year stretch, this is about as impressive a stretch of a reliever as we will see in our lifetimes, really. I mean, maybe the game's going to continue. We're going to have relievers with 0.5 ERAs for the year. But it well, was... Oh, well, Dylan Matanzas struck out 130 two years in a row. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, but, yeah. And, and then even it got hairy in game four with Davis. He put two on with one out, and then Cespedes let him off the hook. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, to credit the Royals, I mean... I think their advanced scouts deserve a ton of credit. The game plans that the starting pitchers had on the Mets batters and executed was flawless. I mean, this is my favorite stat. The Royals allowed 12 hits in 30 innings, games 2, 4, and 5. 12 hits in 30 innings. They're basically that not... Is, we're, is, we're, yes, we are we are avoiding the Franklin Morales time. That is the, you know, but yeah, in you in the yeah. games that Matt, the games they won, their bullpen was beyond dominant. I mean, yeah. and that, that was the thing that you, you got to, when they tied it up last night, there was no scenario you could map out that was really favorable for the Mets because you looked at it and you said, okay, the, the Royals still have Hochaver and Madsen and Davis. They won't be dipping into the, not even dregs, but the, the, the non-strength of their bullpen until inning 15 or 16, and the Mets just didn't have, I mean, once Familia was done, they didn't have those guys where you go, okay, well, they can just put up zeros for the next four or five innings. That was glaring. Yeah, he was always quick to pull John Neese for some reason, even though he looked pretty good in all his outings, but he only faced like three or four batters every time. It, I don't have an explanation for that, <laughs> just an observation. Now on the Royals. So the Royals, I, I wrote up a little something, a little lengthy something that will be on the site hopefully at some point today, but... The Royals, yes, there are more playoff series now. But playoff wins are something. If you're a fan of a team, you should savor every playoff win. They are still relatively rare. And the great thing about playoff wins is that those are the games that you really should remember. I, you know, especially if the game was in any way tense. Wow, I remember game one. I remember. And this Royals team, if you're a Royals fan, this Royals team has given you 15 uh, 10, conservatively 10 amazing memories over the last two years. They've won 22 postseason games the last two years. The Cubs have won less than 22 postseason games in the last century. Mm-hmm. It's something that you really, if you're a Royals fan, enjoy. You are in one of those times that it, it you, you, you should savor it. Is there something, you've written about this before, you know, you're not the only thing, Joe Sheehan's written about it as well, but is there something that the Royals have figured out here about how postseason baseball plays? Or, because again, 22 wins in two years is 
That's well, it's one short of the ba- the maximum they could. Two short of the maximum you could do. Mm-hmm. They 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 went from the wild card to game seven last year. They didn't have to go to the wild card this year, but they win it. So the most you could have in two years is twenty four. Right. They've been very successful, extremely successful in the postseason the last two years. How much of that is team gets hot at the right time? How much of it is you can call it luck or whatever? How much is it you think actually a team being well designed for the games that they have to play? Yeah, um, Zobrist and Kane to me had were the best for the Royals. I mean, just Zobrist, every every both of those guys. every at bat they had was just textbook. <laughs> they but to your larger point. I think teams that make contact and, and fight off pitches are, are better equipped to handle pitchers who miss bats. I think the statistics bear this out. Contact teams fare better against power pitchers than teams that strike out a lot. I think you can look at the Cubs versus the Royals offensive attacks if you want to see how the two hitting styles contrast. And they contrasted <laughs> pretty significantly in the postseason. Yeah, so, but again, I mean, Zobrist and Kane were awesome. I think they pretty much. For the MVPs, I know Perez got the award, but I think Kenny, I, I think it's fine. It's like everyone's <laughs> like, man, he gets beat up every year. Right, right. But so I, the other part of it is, is that it did jump out the glaring difference in athleticism out there between those two teams, and how did that play out? You know, as you mentioned, Travis Darno really was struggling with throwing. I, I think again, we'll find out that he was not, you know, close to one hundred percent healthy. Travis mm-hmm. Darno, to be honest, as and if you look back over the stretch of his entire professional career, he's never had a stretch of three months straight where he's been 100% healthy. It's just not part of who he is. But that jumped out because it wasn't just stolen bases. It was stolen bases. It was taking the extra bag when you know you can take it, which also goes back to the advanced scouting, knowing tendencies, knowing guys' arms, all those things. But it's also, it's defense. It's how many plays were there where we'd see against the Mets a ground ball that would get through and you knew that's not getting through against the Royals. It came across in so many different ways. I don't know how easily replicated this Royals approach is because a part of it is, is that it is a, it's a way that to do it, I guess it is replicable, but it's a very high risk way from the standpoint of usually the guys who have that kind of athleticism Either you're drafting one, two, or three to get those kind of guys because the guys who have that kind of athleticism and fully formed bats at a young age are the top prospects in a draft or right. in, on the international market. Which the world had many of these guys yes, on the roster. They, yes, Eric because Cosmer, they were so bad for so long. Right. Eric Hosmer and Mike Moustakis were guys like that. Christian Cologne. You know, Christian Cologne, who was number four pick. Yes, they had guys like that. But the other way is, is that you take risks on guys who you hope the bat will develop. Right. Lorenzo Cain always hit. But they were able to get Lorenzo Kane because there still were some questions about the bat. Everyone thought this guy's a really good athlete, he's a really good center fielder. Alcides Escobar, everyone knew Alcides Escobar would be a solid defender in the big leagues. Great arm, great range. Real questions were how much was he going to hit. Those kind of guys, you take risks with them. What they've done in right field, uh, you know, Alex Rios, Paulo Orlando, who... I went back and realized I forgot that Paulo Orlando was on, I think, their 2010 Northwest Arkansas team that won a ring. You know, and that was in his second career because he had been, you know, in the White Sox organization for a decent while. It, it's hard to replicate that, but credit to the Royals scouting, player development, 
advanced scouting, all of it, and the players, they managed to make that work in a way that a lot of teams have tried and failed. Yeah. Um, we've, we've seen in the past few postseasons that teams that strike out at a lower rate have done pretty well. The Giants, the are, Giants example, are one that jump out. The Tigers, the Rangers, the Cardinals. These sorts of teams have tended to advance. Uh, but you know the Royals are in a different class when it comes to uh, avoiding strikeouts, though. The, the other part about this is obviously is the bullpen. The, the Royals have really, the last two years, had success with a, a starting pitching staff of guys, I mean, that are fines or, I mean, are guys who are playing above what you would think because of the, maybe because they have the defense behind them, whatever it is. But the bullpen has always been, that's where they've, that's where they've sunk their money, to be honest. I mean, if you look at this year, compared to, like, what percentage they of pitching has spent on their bullpen with Holland and Davis and Hochaver and the, a great deal they got on Madsen, but they've got Herrera. They've gone in that direction. But the other thing that seems interesting with that is, is that there's generally a thought that, it's, that, that bullpen performance is much more volatile, much less consistent than the starting pitching performance. I, have they maybe discovered, you know, do you think it's just a good two-year run, or do you think this is something where they've discovered something here, and they very much look at it as if we can get to the seventh inning down by two, <laughs> we're, we got you right where we want you because our bullpen's going to be better than your bullpen. Yeah, volatile, yes, but crucial to winning close games in a playoff setting. Um, what strikes me is most of these guys were pretty well-regarded starting prospects. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that something that you would... Mention, I mean, no, I think Wade Davis obviously was a long-time starting prospect. Luke Kochaver. I, I, I wonder part of this is, is that a criticism, go back 2010, 11, back when the Royals were all about the farm system and nothing else. One of the criticisms leveled against them as far as their pitching development. There was a real question of, can they develop starting pitching? And the, the criticism really revolved around this. They're a, they're a four-seam fastball curveball organization. If you are not a guy, especially back then, they're a little more flexible now, but back then, if you were drafted, if you're Aaron Crow and they draft you, okay, well, we'll let you use your slider because we drafted you in the first round for your slider. But other than that, no, you're a curveball. Take no, take that slider, put it away, you're a curveball guy. And if you were a two-seam guy, no, let's, let's work on the four-seam. We're going to work on the four-seam first. And the criticism about that is, is that you're trying to develop number one starters with that, but the failure rate on that is going to be very high, and I, I see some logic to that. Is, is that there are not many, there are not many pitchers crafted who can go out there and pitch off of a four seam fastball, you know, which really you need to be in the mid to high nineties velocity with that generally, a four seam fastball and then a curveball. But one thing about that is, is that guys develop that way. If they fail. And I think Hochaver qualifies as one of these. And Kelvin Herrera, who had some injury problems, qualifies as one of these. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Wade Davis came up in a different organization. But if you fail, it does maybe make you into a really good reliever. Mm-hmm. And that's something that the Royals have had. I mean, again, Aaron Crow's gone. But Aaron Crow's a first-round pick who also failed and ended up going to the pen and working as a reliever for them. Luke Hochaver fails, and he goes to the pen, and he works for them. You know, Wade Davis, I mean, Wade Davis is a failed starter. But it, they've done this kind of over and over now where you do have to kind of ask the question of, okay, they have struggled to develop starting pitching, but say this for it, it does help them develop 
an incredibly deep bullpen. Danny Duffy still to this day, you know, the Royals still need him to be a starter. But in the postseason, it was very useful for them to have that as a, okay, we got this lefty who throws 97 who can come in and throw in the fifth and sixth. And they've also done a good job of developing those guys to where every one of those guys seems to feel like that they are a key part of this. Again, a flip side of this is with the Mets. I'm not saying Hansel Robles is amazing, but it watching him kind of the outing we got to see him, there was kind of this question of, okay, is this not a guy who could help in some way? And he felt buried in that on that staff. And it did look like he was a guy who Unjustifiably yes. had the stuff to I mean, his stuff Plus, is based on pure stuff, his stuff was as good as about anyone in that pen. Yeah, he's got a mean streak too. I, I would have liked to have seen him more um, as well. Um I don't, I don't have a larger point there. But, okay, so I'll ask you this, you know, kind of to wrap us up, I will ask this question. Royals now went to Game 7, now win the World Series. Dayton Moore, I mean, this is Dayton Moore's team. I don't think we can... Alex Gordon, I believe, is the only player on the roster who was in the organization before Dayton Moore arrived. I mean, Dayton Moore didn't run the 2006 draft from every... Ex- from what they from, say... From Luke Hochevar to... Gerard Dyson in the 50th round, right? Yep. That was the first draft that he was there for. Derek Ladner, scouting director, and at the time, I mean, he was hired a week before it, so he didn't really, no one could say that he really put his fingerprints on that draft, but those guys were drafted. Dayton Moore was the GM of, of the Royals, so pretty much Alex Gordon, who may have been playing his last game as a Royal, and if he was, I think Royals fans will tip their cap and go, man, that was a great, it, it, it started rocky, but that was a great, <laughs> I think, eight seasons in the big leagues for them, which, hey, if you're going to have a guy go, if the guy leaves to go to free agency at 31-32, that's actually doing it a smart way in many ways if you're, if you're the Royals. But that being said, let's try to wrap this up with a little bit of assessment. Dayton Moore, one of the, is Dayton Moore one of the better GMs in, in baseball, or is this now just kind of the point of, all, there are very few GMs who aren't good GMs. There are very few front offices now that aren't well run. And so what that means is is that if you have, the, you know, if everything comes together, there are very few organizations that are that can't win a World Series if everything comes together. Yeah, I would say two things. Um, Moore has made no misfires since the end of last season. Like all of his mid-range free agents... Were, and that's where were, they, they shopped on the bargain. Huge, yeah. I mean, they, they did They're not. all mid-range guys, and they hit Edison, big. Edison, Volquez. They hit big on all of them except for Rios, who you argue is. And still was, and was not, yeah, he, that was a miss. But, I mean, really, I'd say in the last two years, if you go back to two years, Omar Infante, who kind of mercifully for the Royals, it was hurt. <laughs> and not, it made the decisions easier. You didn't have to worry about, right. no, 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 you know, we had to carry him on the roster or anything. But Omar Infante and Rios was disappointing in, in right field. More than compensated by Morales being very good and Volquez being very good. Morales very good, Volquez very good, Chris Young, mm-hmm. which that was... That's like the bargain category, him and uh, uh, Madsen in the Man, bargain category. Yeah, Madsen was an, uh, an excellent pickup that way. Re-upping Luke Hochaver to a multi-year deal coming off of TJ, believing like, no, this guy's going to be able to help us. That was a very good deal. Um, you know, And then you go back to the reality of it is, is that the two... Very big deals that they did years ago. The Granky trade it goes down as one of the better, one of the best trading away an ace. They got some of the best returns that you're going to get. Mets did pretty good there too. Noah Syndergaard, Travis Darnold, when they tra- tra- uh, traded away they traded their ace. When they traded away Dickey <laughs> uh, coming off of Cy Young, great deal there, great trade there. But but 
Alcides Escobar, Lorenzo Cain, uh, you know, and then Jake Odorizzi, who ended up being part of the other trade, the mm-hmm. James Shields trade, which, do you remember, Baseball America, if you go back to the Trade Central, we wrote it at the time, no, this trade actually makes an awful lot of sense for the Royals. We didn't actually, I won't say that we said it, we talked to people in the game, and a lot of people in the game saw that at the time. I know that trade was pilloried in a lot of places. The reality of it is is that the, the people in the game were right. Not only did that, you, you have to play, as, as someone, a scout, put it at the time, you have to play to win games that are on TV. You can't win. <laughs> winning AAA titles doesn't get you anywhere. But the other part of it is, is that with Wade Davis, and I can't say that they truly understood that Wade Davis would become Mariano Rivera, but with Wade Davis becoming what he is, James Shield getting them to that point because they, they made it their last with year. With two good seasons. With two good seasons for them. Mm-hmm. And all that coming together, you look at this and go, yeah, I mean, he has pushed the right buttons. And and really, you look at it right now and say, this isn't a team they're going to out Gordon. They very well could lose. He's a free agent. A lot of these short-term deals that they did, acquiring Cueto, acquiring Zobrist, this team very well could take a step back next year. But at the same time, they won the most games in the AL this year. Mm-hmm. They could take... Uh, ten step, ten win step back, and still be a playoff team. So it'll be fascinating to see if this is how much longer can this Royals run go. Yeah, they were much more impressive this year. They were the best team in the league, wire to wire. You know, preseason predictions: Indians and White Sox were supposed to be competitive. They were not for most of the year. The Twins were kind of a surprise challenger, but the Royals were never really challenged this year. No, and and again, the thing, the the other thing about this, and credit to Dayton Moore and his staff. Credit also to the Mets on this. It is easy to say, no, we're not going to overspend, we're not going to. But there are times you don't get that many opportunities. When you get an opportunity that you think you really have a chance to be a World Series champion, Mm -hmm. it is worth taking some long-term pain for that. Right now, if I was saying this talking to John earlier today, that if if you told the Royals, we have a perfect crystal ball here, I'm going to tell you, Cody Reed's going to become a Hall of Famer. Can you do that trade? Yes, they still do that trade because Johnny Cueto, they needed Johnny Cueto in some crazy way. It was a a wild (laughs) ride. But Johnny Cueto helped them win a World Series title. Winning a ring is worth, you know, losing some games in 2018 and beyond. That is the trade you make. The Mets, it didn't work out in in the World Series, but... The Mets don't make it to the World Series probably without Yohannes Cespedes. Uh, I think that's there. That it is. It's and some of these minor moves they made too. I mean, you know, Juan Uribe, you know, didn't have a massive impact in the uh, postseason, but they that lineup got better, as you said, kind of August first on. Their correlation does not necessarily mean causation, but it's hard not to think that some of those moves were kind of key to them getting to where they were. Yeah, uh, it was also around the time Conforto got called up. That didn't hurt either. And David Wright and Darno returned. But, yeah, in Conforto, I mean, it's too bad that um, his game four, uh, you know, his, his breakout was ruined by right. what happened. But he had two home runs, including one off a left-handed oh, reliever. It was a vi- and, and he had great at-bats. Even, in the, yeah. even down 7-2 last night, you know, against Wade Davis. Great at-bat. Base runner, yeah. You know, it, I, I mean, it, it was... And I look, I mean, to wrap this up, I mean, we do, we look at the Royals and you say, okay, 
the Royals team probably is not going to be as good. But what they're going to do again, and what they can do now that they couldn't do five years ago, is they can now shop in the mid-range in the bargain-free agent market, and guys want to go to them. I mean, that's one thing that keeps that I think it's easy to forget. In 2010, Brian Madsen is not saying, yeah, I, I, I want to come to Kansas City and prove that I'm the reliever I was before missing the last multiple years of arm <laughs> injuries. You know, you're not, Kendrick Morales is not saying, I've got a couple of offers. Yeah, I'll take the Royals. You're, they're only going to the Royals in that point, point if you got more years or more dollars than anywhere else. Now they can shop and compete because, hey, you want to have a chance at a ring. That matters something to a 31, 32-year-old like Alexis, Rios, you know, Alex Rios, who it didn't work out as well for him, but he got his ring. You look at this Mets team, though. I feel like this Mets team could be, you, you never know when you're, especially when you're built around starting pitching, but this Mets team could be just as good, if not better, next year, I think, in many ways. Could be, yeah. As you mentioned, it all hinges on the, the pitchers being effective and healthy. Most of the system's top prospects are position players, so I think they will be able to paper over losses of, of Cespedes and Murphy. The probable, Especially a full-season Conforto will help there. The probable free agent losses of those two. Yeah, you, you talk guys like Dominic Smith could be ready in 2017. You know, Dilson should be ready next yeah, year. Gavin Cicchini. Probably the second half of next year, maybe. Right. If you need them. Uh, you know, and again, I mean, even, uh, you know, you're, you're talking about the Rosarios in all the world. It could be by 2017. Um, Matt Reynolds in a role-type, player-type role next year. I mean, they've got a lot of those guys. And the other question really becomes, they also they have enough. They, they've traded away a number of guys, but they have enough arms that maybe they can also kind of help that bullpen with, you know, a, a guy or two from the, from the, the minors because... That really does feel like, uh, you know, obviously the one thing we kind of gets lost in this also is is that Familia was not supposed to be the guy by right. himself. That was not the plan. It's not his, nothing he did wrong. Nothing even necessarily the Mets did wrong, but PED suspensions uh, kind <laughs> of uh, screwed up some, some plans there a little bit too. But this does look like you're talking about two teams. Hey, next year will be fun because you also have, I mean, the Astros who made the playoffs should be continue to get better. The yeah. Cubs should continue to get better. Mm-hmm. Pirates and Cardinals sure don't look like they're going anywhere. It's kind of hard to imagine at this point that the Dodgers are not going to be <laughs> a, a contender for a while because if you have young talent and $350 million to spend, it's it's hard not to do something with that. Mm-hmm. And, hey, I mean, I know that they were terrible. I know they've been terrible multiple years recently, but I still think that the Red Sox, if you – right now if you ask me to pick a team that is built – has the farm system to really do something pretty quickly, it's the Red Sox to me. So sure. there's a lot of fascinating teams. It's going to be a fascinating offseason. But, again, congrats to the Royals. The Kansas, if you're in Kansas City, don't worry about the offseason. Just worry about the parade tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, and again, if you're a New York Mets fan, this still goes down as one of the better years in, in Mets history. This is, uh, you know, it, the, the World Series was a loss, but it was a gallant, I mean, it really is a gallant season in many ways, and one that doesn't feel like, okay, well, say goodbye to this because there's no hope of this happening any, anytime <laughs> soon. So, you know, any any last thoughts or does that sum it up for you? That's good. So for Matt Eddy, I'm J.J. Cooper here on the Baseball America Prospect Handbook Podcast. Do want to remind you, as you uh, probably already know, top tens are rolling out at BaseballAmerica.com. We've already rolled out. We're in the NL East right now. Philly's on the site today. Matt chatted about the Mets on Friday. If you're not a subscriber, go to BaseballAmerica.com slash subscribe. 
and you too can read all the scouting reports, top tens for every organization. We'll be doing this kind of for the next, we're into, we did in October, November, December, and into January. We'll wrap it up in January. And also we are working on the prospect handbook, which we always do. 30 reports for every organization. Um, just a fun book to read. It's a fun book to do, although also very tiring, but in a good way. But so Matt, for Matt Eddy, it's JJ Cooper. So long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.